0: For listening, and thank you for sharing the evidence you can trust on Energetic Health Radio and in our segments this week in COVID. The research articles you can find on the America Out Loud Network. If you're ready for another great show, question of the day: What will you do without freedom? It's an important question, and it's something that we should never have to answer. I wanna give a big shout out to all of these brave men and women driving across country right now as a show of solidarity in today's modern civil rights movement. Convoy, thank you so much for all you're doing. Mama bears that are out there, thank you so much for all you're doing. Everyone supporting freedom. Thank you so much for what you are doing. We can't do this unless we come together. And what I see is a lot of great people coming together simply to do what's right. So fantastic. I can't wait to see the outcome of all this, but we know what went on in Ottawa was a unbridled success. You could see them scrambling, Trudeau and all of his cronies. You could see them scrambling to figure out how can we get this under our control? How can we take more power and everything? And you know what the result of it ultimately was? Just read an article a few minutes ago on this. The result was police brutality and violation of civil rights, clearly. But the result of it also was that there was a 500% increase in Canadians moving their money out of Canadian banks. That is devastating. an economy, and that's going to cost Trudeau his job. At least it should, because that's unconscionable to have a 500% increase overnight in transference of money from one country to another. Most Canadians, I shouldn't say most, a great number of Canadians immediately moved their money to the United States when they realized that their government now has the right to seize their money whenever they say something or do something that the government doesn't like. Now, that doesn't sound like freedom to me. And I don't think it sounds like freedom to you either. But there's something very interesting about the human spirit. Where there's a will, there's a way. We will find a way together through this nightmare. You remember that this started out two weeks to flatten the curve, right? (laughs) We're a long way from that shore. And that's why we should have never allowed the departure from that shore in the first place. But we're learning, we're learning our lessons right now. We got to make sure that we, we got to make sure that our freedom is acknowledged. I'm not asking for freedom, not requesting it. I'm not even demanding it because I never gave it away. I'm demanding, if anything, that it be acknowledged and just leave me alone. Let me get on with my life, right? Well, my team has taken great, great efforts to assist in the ways that we can, you know, and I think that's what this is all about. It's all doing our part. Well, my team's part as some of, you know, I'm the lead author and researcher for the COVID research team. And we've been publishing and publishing and publishing and publishing for two years on this topic. We've been publishing on the topic of data fraud, because to me, that is at the root of all this, the lies that have been told, have been told in fraudulent data. And it doesn't matter whether the lie was believed at first. It doesn't matter whether it was regurgitated a million times. Still is a lie. A lie is a lie. And the data that is out there is a lie. And I think we're seeing that every day. I just read an article from uh, uh, Massachusetts, based upon the Massachusetts Department of Health, Um, an evaluation of their death certificates confirmed what the CDC confirmed, what my team confirmed first, which was at least 94 to 96% of all death certificates are fraudulent. Now, it doesn't mean people didn't die. What it means is that they did a sleight of hand with the death certificate reporting to make it look as if COVID was the cause, when in fact it was the comorbidities. And that's the substance of the grand jury petition that was filed yesterday in the Ninth Circuit Court. That's right. You heard us. We have been working tirelessly behind the scenes. And I'm going to give you a history of this petition in the following segments. We're also going to talk a little bit about what is a grand jury. I want to start educating people on this system because I've learned so much about it. And I do think it is one of the best solutions that we have in front of us. We're also going to talk a little bit about where we go from here, but before we get into that and before we go to break, I would be remiss if I didn't send incredible gratitude to people who have bravely made this grand jury petition possible. First and foremost, I have to give my gratitude to Senator Dennis Lenthecombe and Senator Kim Thatcher who have signed on this petition with me. As many of you know, I introduce myself as nobody special and I believe that. I work for God and I don't need any glory. All the glory goes upstairs. Only the mistakes are mine. But I do need a helping hand in the work that we have in front of us. And I couldn't think of two finer people than Oregon State Senators, Dennis Linthicum and Kim Thatcher. The courage that it takes for them to put their signatures on this grand jury petition shows me that one, there are good people in positions, in elected official positions. We know there are good people out there, but it also tells me that there are good people who are willing to step up. And I have such an incredible admiration and respect for both of them, for what they are doing on behalf of all people, really in this country, but really throughout the world. I also want to give immense gratitude to uh, Leah Wilson and Sayer G, um, Valerie and Bailey at Stand for Health Freedom. They've stood by us every step of the way when we first brought them our discoveries of fraud and corruption. um, They stood right by us. They didn't hesitate. They said, we got to help you get this out there. And they have been phenomenal in their support, phenomenal in helping us get this information out there some of you may not realize this but there's over 125,000 americans who've already signed on the pre-existing petitions and now we have a more robust petition that's been filed in the ninth circuit court uh, with a demand to have a special grand jury federal grand jury impaneled we've named names now crimes have been committed and it's time we start investigating them to see the depth that it goes and hold the people who have committed these crimes to account. There are a lot of people who've helped out my team members, and I'm not going to name them. They're on the, the papers uh, that we've published. Uh, Tom Renz has been phenomenal in his support of what we've been doing. Uh, Kevin Jenkins, phenomenal in his support of what we've been doing. And so many people um, Working behind the scenes. And I think that's the message I want to bring to you today is that the one thing that we can never surrender to evil is hope. There are many days where, and there have been many days where, it doesn't seem like there's any light at the end of this tunnel. But that's the thing. We have been working behind the scenes tirelessly for you. And I know there's other groups out there doing the same thing. It's our duty to not only speak truth right now and make sure that criminals are held to account, but our bigger duty is to maintain hope. Because the only way evil can ever win is when we surrender hope, when we give up. And that's the thing that my team, the people I work with just won't do. And that's what I think makes all of this possible. Now, what we did um, on Thursday, uh, February 24th, filing in the Ninth Circuit Court, it's a step. And I'm quite confident that there'll be attempts at obstruction of justice along the way. And we'll, we have some plans for those. But that's not really the point here. As long as we never give up, as long as we never give in, evil has an expiration date. And so my promise to you and my promise to everyone that I've been speaking to for the last two years on this topic is really simple. I will never give up and I will never give in. And if this doesn't work, I'll come back with something else. And I'm going to keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back because our children deserve that level of relentless pursuit of freedom. And I'm going to make sure they get it. And I know you're going to be there with me, making sure that they get it too. Our duty right now is simply to make sure we never surrender hope, ever. We do that and our victory is guaranteed. And What a nice feeling that is, right? We'll be right back with more Energetic Health Radio and more on the grand jury system right after these messages. Energetic Health Radio is sponsored by the Energetic Health Institute, an amazing school for amazing people just like you. Ready to take control of your health? At eHigh we'll help you tap into the power you already possess. Heal what hurts as you learn organic, evidence-based nutrition, botanical medicine, Eastern energetics, Western science, and so much more. Learn what every doctor should know. Learn from people who really care and love what you'll learn for a lifetime. Go to energetichealthinstitute.org and bring the joy of energetic health into your life. We'll be right back with more Energetic Health Radio right after these messages.
1: It's time to rethink COVID disinfection. A study by Harvard, Drexel, and Virginia Tech concluded, we don't have a single documented case of COVID transmission through surfaces. The reality is that COVID spreads mainly through the air. Shared air is the problem, not shared surfaces. The solution is the Genesis Fogger, which uses natural HOCL to disinfect both air and surfaces simultaneously. It's perfect for home or business. NIH says HOCL may well be the disinfectant of choice for coronaviruses. There's nothing more natural or more effective. Genesis fogs at the precise particle size to combat COVID and other harmful pathogens. It's what's missing from your disinfecting protocol. Visit genesisfogger.com. America Out Loud listeners receive a fifteen percent discount with promo code Out Loud at genesisfogger.com/outloud.
2: Our invincible American spirit drives the most audacious experiment in the history of self-government. America Out Loud celebrates the American spirit every minute of every day. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all.
0: All right, welcome back, everyone. Well, you know, I got to tell you, folks, I'm feeling good. We've been working for months behind the scenes through all the crazy stuff, the Supreme Court, you know, angst uh, over the the stay of execution, uh, you know, uh, fumbling, bumbling Biden going out there and and giving his nightmare before Merry Christmas speech and. You know, and then seeing the wheels come off the bus as we've been tracking all the vaccine breakthrough data. You know. Now, I'm, I'm here to tell you, you know, um, in only from November to February, vaccine breakthrough cases confirmed with all of the attempts of the CDC to, to limit this number have jumped from 1.4 million to almost 9 million confirmed vaccine breakthroughs. And some of you might be thinking, well, what's vaccine breakthrough? It's vaccine failure. It's the number of times and the number of people that were considered fully vaccinated but still contracted the virus anyway. Now that went from 1.4 million to almost 9 million. Here's the rub. Only 25 state health departments are reporting on this metric. That means that we could safely assume it's at least double. That it's at least 18 million, but what's so interesting is the exponential rise, and this is why transparency and data is so crucial, especially when we're talking about informed consent. You can't have informed consent when you're lying about the the data. You, there's no such thing as informed consent when what you're publishing is fraudulent, right? And that's what's been happening from day one. So we have some key points of this petition, but I feel hopeful today and I hope you do too. We have to give each other little glimmers of hope because it's hope that defeats evil. And that's what's so special about all of us working together here. We, I'm gonna give you a history of this petition because I think it'll give you an understanding of of what's gone on and, and kind of an understanding of what's in the petition. And of course you'll be able to read the petition. Um, you know, we want you to read it. We want you to share it. We want you to sign on uh, to it and saying, yeah, I agree. We need to have a grand jury investigate this. I mean, this this is crucial for us, especially at this stage in our country's history. If we are going to live in a country of laws, we need to make sure that those laws are enforced and we need to make sure those laws are just along the way. Well, way back when... And I mean, it feels like a decade ago, it was only two years ago. On March 12th of 2020, I started tracking all of the data out of China and data out of South Korea and data out of Italy because I wanted to build some bell-shaped curves to see how long, how many days it would take to reach the peak level of new cases, new hospitalizations, new deaths per day. And then when could we expect a decline? Well, very early on, it was clear the Chinese data was fraudulent. You know, they were lying and the curves didn't look like we were expecting. And thankfully, we had data from South Korea, which was accurate, and especially from Italy, which was very accurate. And we built out some curves and we could see, you know, okay, well, all of these outbreaks are occurring a couple of weeks before what's going on in the United States. This is let's start building out the United States curve. And now we can start predicting to a reasonable degree, how long this is going to take? Is this a thirty-day thing? Is this a sixty-day thing? Forty-day thing? How long is this going to take? Well, in Italy, it was looking like about a forty-day thing. The peak was occurring about day twenty, somewhere in that range, um, for the, the bell-shaped curve, and then you see a decline. And as you would expect, right? Because the most vulnerable population, and we knew this from the outset, was going to be over sixty with multiple pre-existing conditions, multiple comorbidities. So we started tracking the United States data as data started to become available. And something very interesting happened on April 14th. Instead of forming a nice bell-shaped curve for new cases, we saw an exponential secondary curve, a secondary rise in new cases that we hadn't seen in any other country. And that said, we have to explain that rise. Well, we went to the CDC and we started looking at their data and how they were aggregating, collecting their data. And what we found out was they had adopted a position statement from the Council of State and Territorial Epidemiologists. And we thought, wow, that's really really crazy. Why would you, the CDC, need to adopt a position statement from a nonprofit organization that's not supposed to have any involvement with the government, with a government agency? We looked a little deeper into the position statement, and we found a couple of very deeply concerning things. The first thing we found was, that all it took to be defined and classified as a COVID case, a COVID hospitalization, a COVID death was a single cough. It's right there in the position statement. Now that's ridiculous. All you have to do is cough once and you can be counted as a COVID case, hospitalization or death. Well, the next thing we looked at, and this really bothered me, was that they had a section 7B In Section 7B in the position statement, this is in one of our exhibits that we submitted to the Ninth Circuit Court, it specifically asked, how do we make sure we don't count the same person multiple times as a new case? And do you know in the position statement by the CSTE that the CDC adopted, do you know what they said? Not applicable until more virologic data is, is available. What? All you have to do to make sure you don't count the same person multiple times, because you remember back in that time, people were getting tested multiple times every day because they wanted to go back to work and you couldn't go back to work until you had a negative test, right? All they had to do was say, give us your driver's license, give us your social security number, give us your gender, whatever. And so, and then we can make sure and track how many times you've been tested so that you don't get counted as a new case, but they didn't do that. And that let me know right off the bat The intention of this was to hyperinflate the data, because if you hyperinflate the data and you make the situation look much worse than it is, you can justify tyrannical public health policies. But clearly there would be some people that didn't go along with this. There'd be a lot of people with ethics that wouldn't go along with this say, this is wrong. So how do you get them to shut up? Pressure, threatening, especially if it's a doctor, threaten their license but also if it's a hospital, you just give them a lot of money. And that's what the Health and Human Services Department did. They authorized egregious levels of reimbursement for Medicare, Medicaid. And they even authorized that if a person was uninsured, they could qualify for Medicare, Medicaid, regardless of age for reimbursement, reimbursement um, for hospitalization, reimbursement for any treatment, reimbursement for ventilators, reimbursement for PCR testing. You see, they set up a system of fraudulent data to justify Medicare, Medicaid, insurance fraud. That's what happened. And it took us a while to start putting all these pieces together. As you can imagine, you know, we were starting from behind the eight ball. But ultimately, what it dialed in for us was we found a little document called COVID Alert Number 2. And that was published by the CDC. And what it said was that we're gonna modify how death certificates are recorded, but only for COVID. What we're gonna do is if you have a comorbidity, we're gonna de-emphasize that and put that in part two as a contributing factor so that COVID can be the cause in every single instance where a person even coughs a single time. Well, folks, that's fraud. For the last 20 years, We've always put comorbidities in part one, cause of death. And the oldest comorbidity is what qualifies as the cause of death. Now, COVID could have been called an initiating factor. That would have been fair. And that would have been reasonable, but not a cause because the comorbidity has always been understood to be the cause. And that's how we know how many people died of, you know, uh, diabetes, heart disease, so forth, right? That's how we get these, it's, it's always the oldest comorbidity that is considered the cause of death, you know? And we're not talking about traumatic injuries, ac- car accidents, things like that. It's obviously different. We're talking about disease process. Well, it's pretty interesting that the CDC would say, a single cough is enough to diagnose COVID. It's pretty interesting that the CDC would say, we're not going to make sure that the same person isn't counted multiple times, right? It's pretty interesting that the CDC would say, you know, we're going to change how death certificate is reporting so COVID is, is the, always the cause. And then you know where it gets really interesting. For that Council of State and Territorial Epidemiologists document, you know what happened? The CDC actually provided subject matter experts to the CST to get the position paper they wanted, and then they adopted it, but here's the thing. They violated three key federal laws when they did that. The Administrative Procedures Act, the Paperwork Reduction Act, and the Information Quality Act. All designed to make sure that federal agencies have to have oversight before they put in changes and that public comment has to be honored even in a time of emergency. Why? Because our constitution was formed during a time of emergency. Emergencies don't suspend the constitution of this country or federal law. What this shows, folks, in my opinion, is intent of willful misconduct. And here's where it gets exciting. Most of you know by now that pharmaceutical companies, the vaccine manufacturers, enjoy incredible protections from civil litigation, right? From being sued when their product injures or kills someone who trusted their product to work. Well, that's codified in 42 USC 300 AA-11 and 22 in the 1986 National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. But when we're in an emergency situation, there's an additional protection called the PREP Act. And when we looked at those protections, do you know the only thing that breaches those protections and gives us an ability to be compensated in the cases of fraud as what's happened here is proof of willful misconduct? Well, you tell me, if someone purposely, intentionally publishes fraudulent data, if a per- if an agency and the heads of the agencies intentionally violate federal laws to get that data looking the way they want it to look, to tell that lie, and then create a scenario where there's a greater reimbursement for you if you, are just, if you just shut up and you're complicit, if you are willing to participate in Medicare, Medicaid fraud, Medicare, Medicaid insurance fraud, Well, that starts looking like willful misconduct to me. Now there's much more to it and there's been much more throughout that's come up, but the core element is still there, willful misconduct. And this is what we are alleging in our grand jury petition in many ways, many examples of it. And what we are requesting the impaneling of a special grand jury Now, the history of this petition is after we found all of this and we published multiple peer-reviewed papers on this topic, we, of course, informed every U.S. attorney in the country. We sent paper and digital copies of all of this information along with a petition based upon 18 U.S.C. 3332, our right to petition, powers and duties, our right to petition a grand jury. We sent it to every U.S. attorney because a U.S. attorney has the power to present that information and has a duty to present that information upon being made aware of it to the grand jury. You know, we sent out, we spent thousands of dollars and sent this information out. Not one U.S. attorney contacted us, not one. Not one US attorney said, hey, what do you got here? This looks interesting. Not one US attorney even came to us and said, I think you all are a bunch of crackpots. Not one bit of feedback back. This was in October of 2020. We contacted the Department of Justice. Same thing, crickets. Not one bit of feedback. I started teaching people how to contact the Department of Justice and demand that this be looked at. Not one response, not one. We were dead in the water. So we started working with Stanford Health Freedom in 2021, put on a big event. A lot of, a lot of great people, David Martin supported it. It was, it was fantastic. Uh, we did this in February. To start getting the word out, we say, you know, we have to get more light shown on this. And Stanford Health Freedom supported us by putting together a campaign to call for a congressional investigation into what we found, as well as ultimately uh, about a month later, a, a grand jury, a call for a grand jury investigation. And what, what they did, which I, I love about what Leah Wilson and Sayer G and everybody at Stanford Health Freedom has done, is they have a system whereby you can sign on to these petitions. You can sign on and and tell your elected officials, it's a really simple process, it takes a couple seconds, that you agree with this and you wanna see this investigated. So we're really appreciative of all the support we've gotten from them from the very start. And to date, we have over 125,000 Americans who've signed on. To the earlier versions of this petition, it's the petition is now expanded. We had to expand it because more lies have been told. More lies have been told by a new regime, you know, a new director at the H. Excuse me, a new secretary at the HHS and a new director at the CDC, um, Xavier Becerra. I may be mispronouncing his name. Please forgive me if I am. And of course, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky. There's new lies that are being told, and we found them. Mid 21, you know, we still are getting no responses and we get contacted by Senator Dennis Lenthicum and Senator Kim Thatcher because they're seeing some problems going on in Oregon with the public health department. So I I encouraged them. I said, you know, if we can get some data, let's get some data, but I I don't think you're going to get data. I think you're going to get obstruction here. And I asked them if they would be willing to submit a records request. For cycle threshold values for positive PCR tests and a few other things. Dennis is a, a brilliant um, data uh, scientist as well in his own right. Uh, he added a few things on as well, and Kim was in support. Um, and you know, these are great people. These, you know, this is I think the thing that's been the most heartwarming for me. These, there's good people. I didn't think there were any good people in governance anywhere, and I'm wrong about that. I'm so happy to be wrong about that. Well, they submitted the records request to the state, um, to the Oregon Health Authority and were promptly denied. That's right. Elected officials requesting basic public records were denied access to those public records. So the senators came back and said, Okay, what can we do? And we said, Well, we we have this grand jury petition that's just kind of sitting there. You know, would you be willing to review it? And if you agree with what we've put together, would you be willing to sign off on it and let's submit it again? And they did their due diligence and they said, yeah, we'll sign on this. Um, So they put together a beautiful letter. Um, We put together a new package and sent it directly to the Honorable Scott Asfog, the uh, U.S. Attorney for the state of Oregon. And we got some responses. So we thought, okay, here we go let's get this grand jury let's get this information to a grand jury and let a grand jury investigate and decide whether or not our allegations have merit well scott asfawg instead of doing what he was supposed to do which is to send the information directly to the grand jury exercised something called prosecutorial discretion which he doesn't have in this matter and send it to the department of justice where crickets Once again, senators actually reached out to the Department of Justice a number of times and they basically told them, we don't have to tell you anything. Um, And there was no indication that this was moving forward. They, in fact, the Department of Justice, which can interact directly and supposed to interact directly with the FBI, told the senators, if you think that crimes have been committed, you should report this to the FBI. Well, okay. Something you're supposed to do, you telling us to do, that doesn't sound right. Sounds a little fishy. So we took a step back after that got stonewalled again. And we said, you know, we got to do this a little differently. So what we decided to do was to make the petition more robust. And we have, we went from, I think, an 11-page document to a 62-page document with with more references and more exhibits. And on February 24th, we filed it in the Ninth Circuit Court, but we didn't file it to say anything other than, Your Honor, it is your duty upon being made aware of these allegations and based upon 18 U.S.C. 3332, our right to petition and an extensive amount of case law, it is your duty to present this to the grand jury foreman so that the grand jury can decide whether or not to investigate this so we'll see what happens from here but we're doing things the right way we're working through the system to peacefully bring this darkness that's upon us to light folks I don't know how this step is going to turn out, but I know that we're going to take every step necessary and we're not going to rest or relent until we get this information before a federal grand jury. And simultaneously, we're going to start launching state grand jury petitions and we can use your help. There are going to be opportunities, especially if you're out there listening and you're an attorney and you want to get involved, there's going to be opportunities to get involved directly because we need help. But if you're out there going, well, what can I do to support this? As you can imagine, this all takes money. And if you go to covidcon21.com, we have a campaign that we've put together. Even a dollar helps. We are going to stay in this fight the whole way. But we could really use your support in helping us stay in this fight because this takes money. Now, I'm not good at asking for help probably one of my biggest weaknesses. I'm a kind of a person that's a GSD and you can know, you can imagine what that acronym stands for, but it starts with get and it ends with done. I don't ask people for things and I don't ask for favors because then, you know, it just disrupts things in my opinion. But on this issue, we need your help. On this issue, we need you to do all you can to support us. And there's many ways you can do it. Awareness, getting this case out and letting people know what's going on. That helps. Signing the petition at Stand for Health Freedom. Um, and you can go through covidcon21.com. Direct link will take you right to the petition um, so that you can sign it. That helps. Gets our numbers up. we got to, I want to get us up over a million uh, by the summer, a million signatories on it. At some point, they're going to have to hear us. You can only obstruct and hold justice back for so long. Um, Donations. Donations help us. Donations help us make sure that we can interact with attorneys who can help us along the way. Help us avoid some of the mistakes and pitfalls before we make them. And I'm very serious about this last one. Remember, the one thing we can never surrender to evil is hope. And there's always hope in prayer. So there's many ways that you can participate. And I hope you choose all of them because we really need the help. There are good people that have been fighting for you for a very long time, don't need any credit, don't want any credit. We just want to make sure we preserve freedom for all, and freedom forever. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the, um, and you'll be able to read the petition. We and I want you to read it in full. You know, I think you need to really dig into what's going on with this. But so when we come back, we're going to talk about the grand jury system a little bit more. I have we've put together a frequently asked questions because we want to get you educated on what this is, so you understand why this is such an Opportunity for us once we crack the code of getting past the obstruction of justice and actually getting this to a grand jury. So we'll be right back with more energetic health radio right after these messages. Folks, emergencies don't last for years. From the outset, the CDC repeatedly violated federal laws to hyperinflate COVID data and defraud the American people. They lied while we died, they failed while we suffered. They profit while we fight for what's right. If you're tired of this new normal, this new normal of willful misconduct, if you're tired of the corruption, then help us fight for freedom. Help us fight in a way that they don't want us to fight, using love, logic, and light. Sign the grand jury petition that can set us all free. Go to covidcon21.com. We have a section up there for a grand jury petition and a lot of other resources, free resources as well. And help educate yourself on the alleged crimes that must be brought to justice. Join the more than 125,000 Americans demanding transparency, integrity, and accountability in our governance. This isn't a party issue. This is a freedom issue. This is a civil rights issue. Don't let them get it twisted. folks. We're at a moment where we have an opportunity we may never get again to shape the future for the better. Let's make sure we take full advantage of that moment. And let's make sure we kick that moment off by holding criminals to account. Enjoy the fight. Let's do what's right. We'll be right back with more Energetic Health Radio right after these messages.
1: Let's get real. Let's get loud. On America Out Loud Talk Radio, this is the McCullough Report. Are you tired of being tired? Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cells REM sleep supplement. These are
0: pill-free supplements in a gel pack. They're so easy to take before you go to bed. I'm so tired during the day now, working so hard, but restless at the same time. I'm going to take a healthy cell before sleep tonight so I can restore my REM sleep and wake up refreshed. Now go to HealthyCell.com, use the code OUTLOUD, all capital letters, OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order
2: of any product. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races. You toss and turn and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control label insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, HealthyCell has created REM sleep the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support, delivered in a patent pending pill free ultra absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with healthy cells rem sleep go to healthycell.com and use code out loud for 20 percent off your first order that's healthycell.com h-e-a-l-t-h-y-c-e-l-l and use code out loud for 20 percent off
0: all right welcome back everyone you know let's talk grand juries what what is a grand jury. Now we've put together uh, some frequently asked questions uh, that you can certainly read. I think it will help you get oriented. We have a grand jury specialist um, by the name of Kelly Mordecai, author of The Hidden Fourth Branch. And um, brilliant dude, good dude, all right? Um, we, we felt like when we were putting this together uh, this time around, we, we want more participation. In the public. And I think if we're going to participate and help you participate, we have to be able to teach you about this. I've had to learn so much about the grand jury system and really how incredible and amazing it is and why they've worked so hard to take it away from us um, over the last hundred years. You used to be able to just if you felt like there was a crime being committed, you could have it written on a napkin and go and straight into a judge or magistrate and inform them of it and you could interact directly with the grand jury. (laughs) You know, I mean, (laughs) how simple is that? Right. you can say, Hey, I think some crimes have been committed. Can you investigate them in the grand jury? It's their duty to say, yes, yeah, we'll investigate them. Now it doesn't mean that you'll get the outcome you want, but at least you can participate in the process. Right. And it's, it was an easy process. Well, historically that was too easy. And that could make corruption (laughs) and, Forgive me, I'm laughing a little bit here and I'm, I got a little tickle in my throat, but it could make corruption pretty difficult, right? So can't have that. So we got to make sure and start putting some roadblocks in the way and removing some of the access uh, between the people and the grand jury, because the grand jury is a system really by the people for the people. It's, the grand jury has as much authority as any um, judge in the entire country that's the that's and it's there for that reason to make sure that the people have an avenue to hold corruption to account, crimes to account, especially crimes within the government, crimes within um elected and appointed officials, crimes even within the judicial system. That's how powerful the grand jury was intended to be and and thankfully still is if once you can get to access it, getting to access it is the trick well, you know we have these questions here i'm going to read a few of the questions and answers i'm not going to read all of them because it would take probably a, a little bit more time than we have for this segment but um we want to help educate you on on this and so that you can be informed i mean this is what it's all about right being informed on not just you know the vaccines or and they're not vaccines the the gene therapies the experimental biologics but also on how to participate in your governance beyond just voting every couple of years. That's what they are trying to reduce us to is to think that the only way we can participate in our own governance is to vote every couple of years. Well, that's one way, but there's many ways, especially when things are going south and you wanna say something about it. So question one is why are we focusing on the grand jury solution? Well, Pfizer, BioNTech, Moderna, In IAID, Johnson & Johnson currently cannot be sued by American citizens injured or killed by the experimental COVID inoculations, the biologics. The first and oldest protection is the 1986 National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, 42 USC 300 AA. The second is the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act, the PREP Act. The only legal concept that penetrates these protections thereby enabling American citizens injured by the experimental COVID inoculations. The only thing that gives them even a chance to sue for restitution is proof of willful misconduct. And the only legal body that can levy indictments for willful misconduct are grand juries. So this makes it a logical step. You know, what's been really bothersome to me in doing some additional research prepping the uh, petition is that we don't have evidence of even one penny being paid out to um, families that have been injured by these experimental inoculations, not one penny. Well over 1.1 million injuries, at least According to the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, we know that number is far too low. We know it's at least in the 5 million range or more. Not one penny has been paid out to these families. Not one penny has been paid out to the family for Simone Scott. Not one penny has been paid out to the family for Ernesto Ramirez Jr. Not one penny has been paid out to... Maddie DeGarry's family, that brave little girl that spoke on January 24th at the, uh, on Capitol Hill, thanks to Senator Ron Johnson, have a problem with that. I hope you do too. That's wrong. These people trusted liars. They should be able to trust the government. They trusted them and they were lied to. This is a result, loss of life and permanent injury. And not a penny for it. While these companies rake in record profits for a product that doesn't even work. Remember the vaccine breakthroughs, right? The number of times it's failed. It's messed up. We got to do something about it. Well, my thought is doing something about it is exposing the fraud and getting that information to a grand jury because a grand jury has power, real power in this country. So what is a grand jury? A grand jury is an independent legal authority empowered by the U.S. Constitution, case law, and history. A grand jury is composed of everyday people entrusted to investigate any and all allegations of felonious criminal activity, and in particular, willful misconduct by public officials. It's actually of willful misconduct and where they are to hold them accountable. Grand juries possess the legal authority to indict anyone believed to be guilty where evidence and testimony substantiates the allegations of criminal activity. Once indicted, alleged criminals are required to stand trial or seek a plea bargain. Grand juries are comprised of US citizens age 18 or older and selected directly from the communities they are appointed to serve. Because grand juries are required to function independently of judicial and US attorney influence, that's right, independent of those influences, They possess broad powers to subpoena all records, testimony, and witnesses necessary for their investigations into alleged criminal activity. That's power. Referred to as the unofficial fourth branch of the government, grand juries possess enormous power to pursue justice on behalf of we, the people. Particularly in times when corruption is evident and unchecked. With clear evidence during the COVID crisis that crimes against humanity, extensive fraud, and rampant acts of willful misconduct have been committed, grand juries present, in our opinion, of course, the best potential solution for Americans seeking justice. A grand jury convened to independently investigate government officials and public health officials for corruption, fraud, and willful misconduct can ensure that any and all alleged criminals stand trial for wrongdoing. Sounds pretty good to me, right? Hopefully it sounds pretty good to you. Can any U.S. citizen petition a grand jury? The answer is a resounding yes. Every U.S. citizen retains the First Amendment right of petition While some states have made significant efforts to install obstacles that prevent ordinary U.S. citizens from actively engaging in the right to petition grand juries. These rights are maintained in all 50 states, nevertheless. Kansas, Nevada, North Dakota, New Mexico, Nebraska, and Oklahoma have laws that specifically empower citizen-led grand juries without the need to file formal petitions through a U.S. attorney or state attorney general acting as a middleman in the process. In fact, Justice William O. Douglas wrote in the origin of the First Amendment's right of petition in Adderley v. Florida, 1966, 35 U.S. 39. In his opinion, Justice Douglas, quote, the historical antecedents of the right to petition for the redress of grievances run deep and strike to the heart of democratic philosophy. That's right, the heart of it. That the people have a right to petition for a redress of grievances. And if you haven't been paying attention, there's a lot of grievances over the last two years with respect to COVID. So how does a US citizen petition a grand jury? Just like we did. There are many avenues to get information to a grand jury, but there's a lot of obstacles along the way. Now, what we're supposed to be able to do is go through a U.S. attorney, and the U.S. attorney is supposed to turn over that petition immediately to a grand jury for consideration. That's what didn't happen when we reached out to every U.S. attorney in the United States and We reached out a second time to the Honorable Scott Asfog. Didn't happen. It's obstruction of justice, in my opinion. So we went to the court with something that could be considered a mandamus action. And we didn't ask the judge to do anything other than to impanel a grand jury so as to get the information to the grand jury foreman, and it's the judge's duty to do that under the law. Now, that doesn't mean that the judge is going to do it. That's unfortunately the country we live in right now and the country we got to fix. So folks, when we're looking at all this, there's a lot. There's many more questions, and I do hope you take the opportunity to start educating yourself on how you can participate in your own governments and, and hold people that are committing crimes to account. Hope you'll, you'll join us in this, but if that's not your thing, that's cool. There's other ways to help, you know, just share the information and, you know, and sign the petition yourself, you know. Um, <clears throat> if you have a legal team, contact us, you know, we'll, we'll talk with you about it. We'll, we'll share the information we have, what we're doing. We just want to see it work. We're not here for the credit. So, I want to give you my final thoughts on this because we have more to come. I'm going to be bringing on Senator Dennis come, and Senator Kim Thatcher in the coming um, weeks. We're going to bring on um, some of our grand jury specialists. We're going to be bringing on Tom Renz and um, just some really great Americans to kind of talk a little bit more about this, uh, about what's going on. My final thoughts on this, are that we took a positive step on February 24th. That all of us working together, the convoys, the mama bears, all these organizations out there that are doing such a great job, it's all of us applying pressure in multiple directions, multiple, from multiple angles, to bring light to the nightmare of our time, of our generation. And it's all of us working together together doing what we can that is ultimately going to win. Because when we're working together, what we are saying unequivocally is that we have hope. And as long as we have hope, we will win. As long as we refuse to surrender hope to evil, we will win. And that's why I know in my heart we are winning, but we haven't won yet. We got to get these people We gotta get these people indicted and they have to stand trial for what they've done to the world. Remember that our path to victory has four divine challenges for us all. To number one, take no offense. It's a tough one, but it's one we gotta do. To speak truth, something we're becoming better at every day. To be selfless. What a great lesson to teach our kids and to remain humble. There is no victory lap, there is no gloating in any of this. Yes, we've been right the whole time, but gloating gets us nowhere. So let's remain humble. Remember the glory goes upstairs, the blessings come down. May our creator shine his divine light down upon us, everyone we love and surround us in the protection of his warm embrace. Until next week, I'm Dr. Henry Ely for Energetic Health Radio and the Energetic Health Institute, and I say to you, aloha and adios.